Optimal health for high performers. This is the Health Upgrade Podcast with Dr. Nawaz Habib. everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Health Upgrade Podcast. Today, my special guest is Dr. Julia Sen. Dr. Julia Sen is a registered psychologist with a full-time virtual private practice. She has been seeing clients for over 20 years and has a special place in her heart for parenting. Her growing waiting list prompted Julia to create powerful online programs so she could serve even more of her community. She considers herself to be a possibility psychologist and focuses on helping people awaken the wisdom within to navigate challenges in fertility, parenting, and relationships with greater ease and flow. She is the parent of two teenage daughters and two Coton de Tulaire pups. I don't know if I said that correctly. Julia is very enthusiastic about personal growth and working with others compassionately to become more self-caring, self-aware, and self-reflective people. She published the book, Too Tired to Parent, Take the Car as well as created a renewed parent group program to assist parents in creating a safe, energetically present space at home for our children and us to thrive. Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Julia Sen. Thank you, Dr. Nawaz Habib. So great <laughs> to be here. I appreciate it. We have a very fun kind of backstory, I think, that's really kind of unique to, to just us. And, and I'm really excited to kind of share how that came about. So. I'd love for you to tell that story if that's something that you're open to. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. So Dr. Navaz was my chiropractor uh, <laughs> back in the day and uh, an amazing chiropractor at that. And I, I just loved going into, of course, have my treatments, but just to have a conversation with him. We, we always had really good conversations about really meaningful things, relationships, parenting in the future uh, at the time for you, right? Yeah. you know? And uh, yeah, so it was really... I felt like we had this really neat bond and then um, you moved away. So I had to switch my chiropractor, although I haven't done that properly yet. But anyways, and then I was just scanning through my emails one day and suddenly on the Vegas nerve summit, uh, an email came through and I saw Navaz's picture. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's this? So I, I, I checked it out and, and he was speaking at the summit. And so I joined the summit and then I connected back with you, I think through LinkedIn. And then, yeah, and then we came together again. So uh, yeah. as colleagues. Such a, an interesting kind of turn of events that, that we were working together in this kind of doctor-patient, but very friendly relationship. And as, as my life kind of transitioned and shifted into the functional medicine space, we kind of reconnected later on again. And that was really quite cool and how it transpired, how our conversation then led to like mentorship programs and, and becoming part of the same circles, which was uh, pretty phenomenal to begin with. And, and now we're fast friends. I love it. I think it's, it's great. And I'm really excited to share some of your amazing tools and tricks and things that you've learned over the past many years to help with parenting. I'm really excited to chat about this, seeing as how I'm kind of just following in your footsteps. You've got two teenage daughters. I have a four-year-old and a four-month-old at this point. Exactly. And who better to learn from than a parenting expert like yourself? So I, I'm really excited to chat about it. For sure. Thanks, Navaz. You know, being a psychologist for many, many years, I did start off in the world of fertility in terms of my actual practice, but obviously parenting was my life story as well. And then they kind of all came together professionally and personally. So that's where it all began. 
That's awesome. So let's let's take a little bit of a trip through your journey, I guess, leading from that fertility practice into parenting and, and how your journey itself actually led you into becoming an expert in this field. For sure. Yeah. Perfect. To be perfectly honest, I think that the fertility world, um, and I'm still in it, and I, and I love uh, supporting, you know, the fertility world. And thankfully, many of my clients have actually turned into parents. So, so they've naturally continued with me on the journey. So there became sort of this organic pool of people who I work with in terms of parenting. So I've never actually recruited or gone out to look for parents, but they've sort of organically again come to me. And my own journey, you know, parenting was sort of recognizing the impact I was having on my children, right? You know, South Asian, I think many, many cultures, not just South Asian, but many cultures, we, we learn a certain way of parenting. And, you know, I remember feeling certain ways when I was a kid. And I noticed these, these expressions in my children. And suddenly I was like, oh my goodness, like, that's me, right? <laughs> you know, and, and then it was like a flashback for me, right? You know, that I had probably put away, honestly, it was not that big a deal, but it was still something that was like, wow, I, I remember that face. It's so familiar. And like, wow, that's me, right? You know, and, and from there, I started to say, well, I, I want to change that. You know, I want to, I want to really make a shift in that. So then I did more research. I did, you know, and then through seeing clients and parents, you start seeing patterns, right? You know, it's, it's pattern recognition became very, very sort of sensitive to me. And I was able to sort of see consistent patterns with parents, with young children, parents with teenagers. And the consistency was our lack of awareness of the impact that we're having right, on our kids and the stress that that was causing in the relationship and then in turn, their children's ability or desire to listen to us, which is, of course, all we want, right? Because <laughs> you know, we're tired if we just want, want them to listen. But in fact, if we slowed down just a little bit, you know, and, and did certain exercises and techniques to help us do that, then we can become aware of our impact. And so that's kind of how the journey began. And then I wrote a book about it. And, and now I do programs as well. So. I think it's a great way to kind of transition into this because I've caught myself, especially when I am tired, making choices and saying things that I don't mean to say, right? I'm not there to be upset with my four-year-old who doesn't want to put on her school uniform in the morning or mm. when it's like bedtime and she just wants to rip her toys apart and do whatever she wants to do. You wrote a book called Too Tired to Parent, Take the Car. Let's talk a little bit about the book and the car method. I think that's a really important place to start. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, too tired to parent. I think, I mean, I, I gave that title because that was definitely one of the patterns that I saw. If we had the energy, we would exactly do right by them. We would, like you said, we don't wake up going, today I'm going to be difficult with my children. Today I'm going to yell at them. Today I'm going to be, you know, irritable. We don't, we don't uh, intend to do any of that. And yet we're tired and that happens. So for me, there's a process. So CAR actually stands for self-care, self-awareness, and then self-reflection. And uh, what I've done is I've broken it down into those three sections in that order for a very good reason, which is the foundation has to be self-care. If you do nothing else that the book tells you, if you actually get the self-care piece really in line, 
the other stuff starts to come a little more naturally anyways, but then I give you a little more guidance on the awareness and the reflection section in the book, but the care piece is critical. And I know self-care is like the big thing now, like everybody talks about self-care is like, oh gosh, another, another self-care advocate. Like, well, yeah, because we have to change that. Right? I mean, there's a reason it's such a big buzzword now is that all the generations before learned self-sacrifice. Yeah. Like that, that's for parenting 100%, right? You know, it's they come first, everybody else comes first, we're last, you know, and it doesn't actually work. It doesn't pan out. So one thing that I did notice was clients would come in and again, exhausted, right? I thought I could do this. I can't do this anymore, you know? And what ends up happening is I sort of look at it as there's two gas tanks. One's like the life gas tank. And the life gas tank is this huge reserve that I feel we were like just given as a blessing when we're born, right? Like this is your big reserve and you can pull on it when you need to, right? And then there's like a daily reserve, right? Like Like a car. After a while, you have to just go and refill it, right? You know, so the idea is we're supposed to be refilling our car every day with again, little techniques, short, little, tiny, tiny, little, little boosts, but we don't, we push through till the end of the day. It's like, I gotta get, just get through the day, just get through it, just get through it. Then I'm going to sit back and relax on my couch and then breathe and watch TV and binge and whatever I do. Right. (laughs) Like that's what ends up happening. But when we're doing that every day, Right. We are we're never refilling. And because of that, we end up drawing on that bigger gas tank that I talked about, that reserve. And when you by the time you're about like 50, if you've been doing that consistently, 50, 55, sometimes I've seen that 45, you know, that reserve runs out, too. Yeah. And then we're in big trouble. Right. Because now suddenly I can't cope. I used to be able to do it. I don't know what's going on. So I want from an earlier age, that daily one to be filled so that the reserve never gets touched, right? Or the odd time when you have no choice, right? Absolutely. So that's kind of the principle behind the beginning of the book. And then again, awareness and reflection come. That's more about our upbringing and society and the language that we speak and that sort of thing and being conscious of that. I'd love to dig into every section a little bit. So why don't we chat a little bit about that self-care, especially from a parenting standpoint. I like to kind of give the example of the savings account being kind of that same larger gas tank that is our life uh, tank. And then the daily is like your checking account. And if you're drawing on the savings account every day, then slowly that savings is going to dwindle. Exactly. Same idea. And so what are some of the things that we can do to make sure that there's enough in the checking account so that we don't have to draw on that savings account on a daily basis? What are, what are some of those more effective self-care tools uh, that totally. you've noticed in your practice? Totally. Yeah. The most effective one, and it's again, everywhere now, but it is breathing. And yes, we all breathe. I'm breathing right now. But I mean, you know, intentionally, even for just two minutes, slowing our breath down, I keep it to a very straightforward breath. I just do a five second inhale, five second exhale, and I repeat that 10 times, Mm -hmm. uh, which is enough to start reducing the cortisol, which is our stress hormone, of course, um, you know, levels so that that doesn't poke holes in the gas tank. Because cortisol, it just loves poking holes, right? It just leaks everywhere. (laughs) So then our energy is gone. So that the breathing is critical. And I, and I, what I do is I assign it, I assign it twice a day in the beginning, just in the morning, when you get up before you go to bed, 
as like guaranteed times. And then you can add in more as you go through the day and if you feel like you need it. So Absolutely. that's a critical one. Another one that I love is gratitude. So building in, if you can, in the morning in a perfect world because it releases more dopamine. So for motivation, just doing a quick gratitude check-in, like what am I grateful for? Simple things, right? Yeah. You know, your coffee, it doesn't have to be food on the table. It can't, of course, be that. But it, it's really the, the little things just to notice and allow yourself to kind of go, wow, this is so nice. Absolutely. Right. You know, big fan of that, that because uh, even in our, in our house and my wife was the one that prompted it very much, but at dinner time with our four-year-old, we each ask each other, what are three things you're grateful for today? And it's not in the morning. We're not getting that initial dopamine boost, but we're doing that practice and we're teaching that practice to her. And it is kind of that check-in moment for ourselves. What happened today that that kind of gives you that positive feeling or that gratitude for how the day has gone or, or just even wider. What are, what are three things you're grateful for? I said that I was grateful for my plant that grew this year that didn't grow last year. Totally. Outside, right? It can be something so simple, so minimal. But what it does is it draws that positivity. It draws that, that dopamine, that serotonin feeling. And it essentially allows you to get into that happiness mode and, and, not think about the, all the negative things that you could shift your mind towards. It's very much uh, a muscle that you start to flex or train in, in creating that dopamine exactly. or serotonergic uh, kind of pattern. Exactly, exactly. What I love is that with gratitude, especially, it's an intention, right? So when we're, we are focused and we're in, in intention, we're in mindful state, right? We're being more present. We are we're really allowing our system to generate all the good neurotransmitters and the chemicals in it so that we can buffer all that negative stuff that's inevitably going to show up right so consider that like yeah like like it's like a bubble you're putting yourself in this beautiful like protective bubble by doing this with intention so that the stuff that comes it just bounces off of you you know and of course that won't happen the first day but when you practice it consistently things still hit things still affect us of course but they bounce off much more quickly yeah right you know Am I still bothered by things? For sure. But do I recover way faster now? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. You know, so that's a huge piece. So those are two main, you know, there's more about the self-care in, in the book. And I get even deeper into a dive into it in my groups. But those two, if you even start right now, like breathing twice a day, five second inhale, five second exhale, 10 times, and then a gratitude practice, whether it's in the, the dinner or in the morning, you know, you're, you're going to see changes already, right? Just be consistent. That's the key. I love it. And previous listeners and my patients, my clients, they'll all know uh, how important the breath truly is in that self-care and in, in creating that recovery feeling and in creating that parasympathetic activation through the vagus nerve and, and how connected the vagus nerve is to the breath. So those two are, are phenomenal. I love that you've brought those two up. Totally. One thing I will say, though, that I really think is very important for everybody to know is if you can build in a piece of self-care between 3 and 5 p.m. Mm. And again, that could just be that breath for two minutes. It could be stepping into the bathroom and watching a funny YouTube video, like something to give you a change, just that just your space, listen to one song you love just quickly. Right. You know, it will get you through the evening. 
right? Which is, again, trying to push through, right? So it's like a replenishing in that moment rather than that, oh, I'm going to try and recover at the end of the day. I really like that, particularly because I didn't realize that time, but I, I do very much now. With two kids at home in the evening, one who absolutely hates sleeping between 3 and 7 p.m., and the other one who is just chaos after a long day at, at school, at daycare. I've mentioned it to so many people that 3.30 to 7.30 is just absolute chaos in our house. Every house. And that time makes so much sense to me now. And, and so what I do if I'm picking up my daughter from school is, and it would be really funny if people were watching on the highway to see what was happening. I blast the hardcore rap, like 90s hip hop, all the stuff that I love on the way to school. And then you'll probably listen to frozen music on the way back. That's hilarious. Uh, But that totally kind of jives with that. And I didn't even realize I did that. But that three to five makes sense because it's it's preemptively getting you into, yeah, I had my moment. Now I can be present with what I need there. I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the next section there. So we've talked about self-care and self-care being super, super important and that foundational tool. So none of this can even be built out unless you do that self-care piece effectively. But if we can talk about the awareness section. Totally. So the awareness section is all about one, what is my impact? Like, so noticing, right? And again, if I'm not present, I can't notice what's going on for my child, right? Like it was the the impact that I had on my child was not because she told me, right, that, that hey, I don't like what you're doing. Right? They, they don't often say that when they're little, right? You know, they do later. <laughs> but, um, uh, so, but I wanted to nip it in the bud when they were little. And so when I noticed, it was just a change in her eyes, specifically my older daughter. And I'm like, what just happened? And, I, and it just, you could see it was like a guilt, shame kind of face, right? You know, and... That is not a good face to have on. That is not a good feeling to have, right? Guilt and shame are are truly the lowest vibrational levels. Uh, If you look at Dr. David Hawkins' work and levels of consciousness, I mean, it's remarkable work. And that's like being stuck in the mud, Mm -hmm. right? So there's no chance for learning. There's no chance for guidance. There's no chance for anything in that space. So that's the first piece, me being able to notice what's going on outside. The second part is noticing how I've been affected. Like our parents, they did what they could. They had zero resources like we do today, right? So they just continued the pattern. And the pattern was really, you know, you should not talk. You should just sit and listen. You know, you must obey me. There's a lot of, you know, respect goes one way, when meaning child respects adult. And those are just the way it was. And the point is that we recognize now that it wasn't all that helpful, mm-hmm. But I'm not blaming anybody because, again, they didn't have resources. There was nowhere to compare, right? To go, what, you're feeling this too? You know, there, there was none of that. So I want to get away from this idea that I'm blaming anybody. Like, it's, I'm not. I'm just explaining that it still wasn't helpful. Yeah. Right? So knowing what the effects were. So slowing ourselves down to go, yeah, what was it like for me, right, as a kid? What did I actually feel? You know, what was the impact of what that did to me? Did it help me become more confident or did it actually make me doubt myself, right? You know, did I feel punished or did I feel, you know, like, wow, you know, I can learn from this mistake, Mm -hmm. right? These are all things to kind of ask yourself because what we want to be doing with our kids now is growth. 
so that they can see that, okay, it's okay, that happened. It's not the best thing. And let's figure out how to help that, right? You know, so that shift can happen. Yeah. In my perfect world, Navaz, I will eliminate my job as a psychologist, right? Yeah, like that absolutely. no one will need me, you know, unless they want to do more personal growth. That's cool. But, but otherwise for, for getting away from sadness or getting away from trauma, getting away from all like that, I would like to eliminate uh, so that we can all be in healed spaces and our children mm-hmm. don't need to do this. I really appreciate that because it almost preempts that third reflection kind of area and and it's actually self-reflection and actually focuses as well in the self-care piece I believe as well but it's it's looking back at your own childhood what were the feelings that you had and you you kind of brought this up but the emotions are so important to understand and to talk through and that's something that we didn't do when we were younger we weren't taught to experience the emotion think about why it happened and reflect on it and when we sit there and we watch our kids have that face shift uh, in their eyes or shift in, in their expression, what we're then seeing is we're noticing what happened to us in the past. We're reflecting on what we felt and we're sitting with them and talking through it, teaching them and flexing that muscle on how they can, when they're older, reflect on their feelings in the moment not allowing the emotions to come in and flood and take over and create a negative reaction rather than a positive response. Exactly. I love how you said that. Yeah, totally. Totally. So the awareness piece makes so much sense. And and I do my best, obviously, uh, nobody's 100% amazing at this, but, but just keeping an eye out for mood changes or expression changes, or even just like actions. That's, that's another thing that I've noticed when I watch my daughter when she's playing with her toys or when she, when she looks like she just needs a moment to herself. And that's really important, making sure that they feel like they have the ability to take space for themselves. I, mm-hmm. I believe that that's really important too. Totally. That brings me to a huge point. Now I'm still playing with this. Is, is it introversion, extroversion? Is it highly sensitive and empath? Is it, you know, but whatever it is, there's a definition where some people and not all, need separation Mm -hmm. right they need that quiet time they need to be away from any energies right and it's so critical because that's how they replenish their gas tank yeah right but there are others though who actually really need to be around you right you know so there's a child who's going to be can you just sit here while i do my homework right no you can't leave you have to sit here right you know but you're doing it on your own. It doesn't matter. You have to sit here, right? <laughs> so, which for the parent who's busy is, you know, like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, this is crazy. Just just sit and do your homework. Like, you know, it's not about doing the homework, right? It's about, I need an energy nearby, right? So in, those kids should be sitting at the kitchen table with you, you know, so that you can do what you need to do and still be attending to them and respecting that, right? And then for the child who does need the space, because if I happen to be more, and I'll just, I'll just, I will say just extroverted and introverted for now. So the extroverted one's obviously the one who needs the energy, introverted needs the space. Let's say I'm an extroverted parent and my child is highly introverted, then I'm going to want them around. I want to talk to them. I want to hear about them. I want all that stuff, you know, and they don't, they're done. They need space, especially if they've been at school or online, wherever they are, you know, they need space from all of that. And here we are, more asking for more 
and that doesn't work, right? So there's all these dynamics there. Sorry, go ahead. I actually remember we had a, a chat about this a little while ago on Zoom, and you were saying that uh, you were picking up your daughter from school and you were bringing her home, and she didn't want to say a word to you. And uh, if you want to kind of continue on with that story, I think that that explains yeah. how we need to become aware, and and you clearly uh, experienced that with your daughter. Totally, yeah, yeah. That was a huge turning point for me, and I love telling this story. Yeah, so. She was grade seven, and I was excited to get done work early and and head over and surprise her to pick her up, right? You know, from school, and I show up. She gets in the car, not a word, like zero. You know, just kind of it's grumpy, whatever. And I'm like, um, hello, right? Because <laughs> you know? I said hello, but I got nothing back, and and I'm like can you not say hello? I just came all the way to pick you up. I thought this was going to be a surprise. And I was really upset, right? You know, and she just turned around and looked at me and said, are you serious? And I said, yes, I'm serious. <laughs> so in my head, I'm like, she's going to be a rude person. She's not going to know how to say hello to people. This is what I'm doing in my head, right? You know, and she, she's like, are you serious? I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm serious. And she's like, I just spent the whole day at school, like putting my hand up and talking and, and doing what I need to do. And now I just need to be quiet. And if I can't be quiet with you, who am I supposed to be quiet with? And I just was like, wow. Yeah. I've never thought about it like that, you know, and I just went quiet. I'm like, you're absolutely right. And then the next times that I picked her up, I stayed quiet. And I kind of like would just check in and like, you know, there was no hard feelings. It was just like quiet. I'm like, okay. And someday she'd be fine to talk because I guess she didn't talk as much at school. I don't know what happened, but it was easier for her. But there was no pressure from me mm -hmm. to be someone, right? Because we yeah. have to be someone all the time. It's a lot, right? It's a lot. So, yeah. So I love that story. That one, it stuck out in my mind. And so for the awareness piece, that makes so much sense because we may want to impose our energy or kind of the feeling that we want on the situation with our kid. But at the end of it, they need to also have their space and we need to honor the space that they want to be in. And, and as a parent, it's on us to honor them greater than friends or whoever else at school or wherever else they are. And so for me, like at, at four years old, I'm, I'm watching with my daughter that there are times when she loves being around people. She loves having her grandparents come and visit her. And then there's times when she's just like, leave me alone. And exactly. I need to be in my space by myself. And it's, it's the awareness piece that allows you to pick and choose when those moments are going to be watching those expressions and saying, Hey, if you need a moment, go take a moment. Don't worry. And you cool. go play by yourself where you need it. And you're right. There's, there's no real label to this. And there's, I, I imagine moments both with extroverts or introverts where the opposite is necessary, that opposite energy is required just based on situations, right? If they're at school and they're putting up their hand and they're talking a lot, it's very different than I'm at home. I can chill out. I, I need that quiet space to reflect and think on my own. So exactly. Great exactly. story there for the awareness piece. Yeah. And to reflect, right, which was the last section of it and of, of, of uh, the programs that I do, it really is about slowing down and like checking in how, how the day went, 
right? Were there moments where I missed something? Were there moments of, of chaos or were there moments of where I was irritable? And what was going on for me? It's just a slowing down and being aware so that I can replay. Well, how else could I have done that? Right. So like Olympians kind of visualize their outcome, we can visualize a better outcome in the evening or in the morning, whenever we want, when we have some time to just, you know, sit and think about it for a few minutes, we can visualize a better outcome. Absolutely. So the idea is not to get self-critical, right? Mm -hmm. Self-compassion is critical to parenting, not self-criticism. So it's, hey, wow, that didn't go well today. And what could I have done differently? Right. So that could go well. And then you visualize that change. And then the brain starts to become familiar with that. And then it'll act it out at some point. Do you feel like for that specifically to be a positive reflective moment rather than a negative critique that you're almost future pacing that out that I shouldn't rather than saying I should have done this last time here's what I could do next time. It's, it's a very different way of looking exactly. at it. And rather than critiquing and creating that negative energy about, man, I, I really shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I, I'm a bad person. And it, inevitably, that's kind of where that, that internal monologue goes. But if we shift to, okay, this didn't go well this time. Here's what I'm learning from it. This is the lesson. The next time I'm in this situation, here's what I need to do. Totally. Totally. And so I'm so glad you said that because I'm literally like thinking about the next video I want to post and it was exactly on that. So it's so cool. Should have to me is the equivalent of shame. Yeah. And if you have shame, you shut down. It's easy to remember. Should, shame, shut. Right. So, Mm -hmm. and when we're in that state, we cannot learn. So if I'm going to sit there and say to myself, I should have done it like this. What's wrong with me? Uh, Now I'm putting shame on and now I shut it down. There is no chance I'm going to change it next time. I'm going to do it again because yeah, that's what I know for whatever reasons. And that could be from social, whatever, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Beating myself up over is not helpful. Right now, if we do it the way you said, right. Okay. Let's see. Oh, wow. That didn't go so well. Uh, let me see what I could do otherwise. All right, let me visualize it now. Okay, so now I am, like you said, future pacing. And then ultimately the brain will be like, huh, yeah, I know that. And it's going to follow it through. So that's huge. And it goes the exact same for our children. Yeah. So why didn't you? How come you didn't? Should You should have done that. Well, you know, all that kind of language that shuts them down in shame or guilt, you know, and no learning occurs. It's almost like rather than that visualization that you talked about. I, I love that idea and how like uh, pianists are visualizing their practice. And, and there's, there's a lot of research on this, even just visualization of a practice builds those neural connections. It creates that neuroplasticity. And that happens both in a negative and positive way. If we constantly are looking back at what we should have done or could have done in those past scenarios, then we're actually creating a neuroplastic negative feedback loop focused on the the negativity and and shaming ourselves and creating that negative vibrational energy being in that state where we can't learn where if we visualize okay this didn't work what could i have done differently and how can i focus that into the future and visualize that happening again then you're creating this new neural pathway that's focused in positivity and it's purely based in learning and doing better next time exactly exactly so so great yeah totally amazing i love the brain links 
and there's a there's one group in the middle like as you were talking i'm like oh yeah there, there's one pattern that i've also seen so there's obviously the ones who you know should themselves and really hurt themselves and block learning there's definitely the proactive hey let me make these changes but then there's actually one who's just like oh yeah i could have done that oh well what are you gonna do and then there's no change and then it just keeps repeating again and again and again which is where that's the awareness piece to me that the awareness doesn't somehow follow through to, well, maybe that's not good and maybe I can do something about it, right? So there's a helplessness construct in those parents that we need to help them actually recognize they, they can help themselves, but there's something there that, that makes them think, so what are you gonna, oh, well, uh, yeah, I know, I, I know it wasn't great, uh, yeah, and oh, well. You'll notice my eyes are kind of shifting off because I'm thinking about multiple people that are in that helplessness phase. Mm -hmm. And it's not just in the parenting space, although I imagine very heavily something that you see from time to time, even with me, right? With patients or clients that are like, oh, well, what am I going to do about it? No big deal. Like, I can't change this. It's coming to the circumstances rather than stating, yeah, I can change them. I have full responsibility over my actions and my choices. That's right. And you know what? Again, they come by naturally because in the past generations, they didn't have the resources to make these changes. But it really was, what are you going to do? I mean, I don't know what to do. Like, there's nothing to do. So some people stayed with that, right? You know, and if they were parented with that, then they stayed believing that they're helpless, right? You know, and then um, it gets passed on and on and on. So absolutely. Here, though, we get some more comparisons. So the idea is that we can actually do things now. Where we couldn't before, we can now. I really love this. The, the car method, so simple, the self-care, the awareness, the reflection. It's so simple. And yet, like in practice, in those moments where, where it's really required, very difficult to kind of relearn or, or to do. That said, if you do it pretty regularly, I imagine it becomes habitual and it becomes something that you are, are able to instill then as uh, patterns for your kids. And I, I'd love to talk a little bit about how kids learn from us. Are they kind of more focused on what we say or how we act or where do they tend to put their attention? And obviously all kids are going to be a little different, but what are some of the patterns you've noticed there? So to your point, it is a very, even though it is simple, it is difficult to get things started. So self-compassion honestly is critical. And so is humor. Like laugh at yourself as you're doing this. Like it's so, so important to kind of go, wow, I just did that again, didn't I? But in a humorous way, right? You know, that it just lightens it a little bit, you know, because otherwise learning doesn't occur. And that, that feeds into what you're saying. So learning, things need to be lighter for learning. Things need to be like, yeah, okay, mistakes happen. You know, yeah, that's frustrating. I get it, you know, and let's see what we can do next time, right? These are, these are the messages we want to be giving them. But the tone, so you're asking what do they focus on? It's the tone. Mm -hmm. kids, kids are highly sensitive because of attachment needs and everything. They're highly sensitive to our tones. Our words matter, but... If I say the same thing, like, oh, Navaz, why did you do that? Right? You hear the tone? Oh, Navaz, you know, why did you do that? Right? That's a curious thing. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't 
get it. Like what happened there? You know, it, and it opens the dialogue up with the child rather than shuts them down with that shaming tone. That's awesome. And yeah, it makes a lot of sense because the words matter, but the, the frequency at which they're being stated or the, the, the tone, as you stated, that makes so much sense. And, and they definitely connect with that because it's the energy that you're exuding in the moment, right? Exactly. Exactly. And kids, again, they, they can't handle feeling shame or guilt from, from caregivers because, I mean, it, it literally sends them into a bit of an attachment panic as well. Because if my, from the back in the day, if my caregiver didn't love me or show me that kind of, you know, attention and support, then what if they kick me out and I'm, I'm out of the tribe, so to speak, and then I'm in real trouble, like a threat comes into play, right? You know, so even though we know we're not kicking them out, that's not the point. Like, yeah, they don't know that actually. It's that lizard brain kind of, uh, exactly. yeah, we need to belong to something, that feeling of, of needing to be included. Exactly, exactly. So that's a critical piece, right? That what you just said, needing to feel included and belong. So home has to be that safe space. This is our tribe now. We don't have the old, like where there's tons of people and we're all in this huge tribe together, right? It's not a collective that way. So our home, it needs to be that safe space. So back to the introvert, extrovert, whoever they are, creating that safe space for them. And in order to do that, it has to be safe space for me too, right? Which is why my self-care does matter. Yeah. Right? My partner's self-care does matter. I want to shift gears a little bit. So I really appreciate the car method, understanding how the tone plays such a huge role in our, our children and how the energy that like the energy they pick up. But I want to shift into kind of what's been going on in the world for the last 15, 16 months. Obviously, uh, the situation worldwide has been very different. We've kind of been stuck in the same house with a lot of people that we generally aren't with all day, every day. We've got kids running around while we're on Zoom calls. We've got the chaos of not being able to support them while needing to still support them. And as we slowly kind of get back to some level of normalcy, hopefully over the next few months, unless you live in Ontario, of course, let's, let's talk about kind of what were some of the challenges you noticed people going through during the last few months from a parenting perspective? and uh, some strategies on how we could make sure that we could optimize our way out. Yeah, for sure. So this is so new for everybody, including us. I mean, as a professional, like this is a whole new world. Like there's no research on this or anything. So, so we're, you know, pulling on what we know, but what we are pulling on is connection a lot. So the most popular struggle, if you want to call it that uh, right now, has been online school with a young child and the parent working. Like that kind of really can't happen. Like it's not a realistic scenario. Mm -hmm. So nothing about that is good, right? You know, the, nothing about that would make sense to keep in the future, right? You know, so it really, we again, that self-compassion piece and really bringing that up, like really recognizing that I need to be kind to myself here, that this is not easy. It's not easy for me. It's not easy for the child. No one appreciates this and we have to do it. So that's the first step is really, really increasing self-compassion. So kind voice, right? And the best way to activate that kind voice is to say, hey, Nevada, if you came and told me the same story, how would I treat you, right? Or I say, well, suck it up, Nevada. What are you going to do? Like, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm going to actually be, wow, Nevada, that sounds like a lot. 
right? You know, so amazing that you're able to do it at all. And yeah, take a breath and help yourself through the day the best you can because it's really, really difficult. So that's how I would talk to you, which means that's how I should talk to myself, right? You know, and um, I was just listening to a seminar with Dr. Dan Siegel, who is to me the best thing ever. You know, he's he's amazing. He's a parenting, I mean, all around, right? You know, and he did the whole brainchild of the book, the whole brainchild, which I recommend to everybody. But he was talking about mindfulness, you know, and he was talking about a key piece, which is to own, right? So O is observe, then so observe what's happening in the moment, then sort of step back and witness it, and then narrate, right? So if you can narrate it, so if you observe, wow, this is occurring right now, I'm yelling at my child because she's come and disturbed me for the 20th time while I'm in the middle of a meeting and because she can't figure out how to, how to get back on her class, right? You know, which is a very common scenario. So I'm going to like, oh, observe that. Wow, this is happening. This is not good, right? You know, then I'm going to step out a little bit, like a bird's eye view a little bit and witness and say, well, I see this happening. And, and because you're removing yourself from the witness state, right? You're not in it anymore. You're yeah. separate. And then you're going to narrate what's going on, right? And what I would love with the narration is the self-compassion to kick yeah. in, right? Those kind words to yourself, like, wow, this looks like a very difficult scene and it would be really challenging. And let's see how we can best you know, work through this. And then from there, what I would do in those scenes, which I have guided a lot of parents on is, if you have a child who's constantly coming to you and poking you and needing something, they are probably uh, slightly more energetically needing people around because they're kind of isolated on their computer over there. With those children, I asked the parents where they can every 30 minutes to get up and go over right, you know, and connect with their child, because that, and just give a nice present hug, 30 seconds, it's a long time actually to give a hug, and show them that you're there, and then help them troubleshoot for a minute, and then come back to your work, so that you're deciding when to interrupt, rather than them coming because they're depleted. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't been in that personal situation, but I, I know from a lot of my patients, a lot of my friends even, that are going through that similar kind of scenario, the the chaos of home and, and a lack of compassion generally is what drives a lot of the negativity and, and the challenge with behavior over there. So I really appreciate that and, and the way you've kind of brought that up. And, and I love that own kind of breakdown. It makes so much sense to observe it, step back and witness it and then to narrate what's going on and, and tell it as though it's a separate story from you so that you don't allow your emotions to take over and create that, that negative emotional energy or, or kind of take over that situation. Exactly. And that is how to be mindful. That's again, all Dan Siegel, not me. So I want to, you know, make sure credit is given. Dr. Dan Siegel is incredible. So yeah, no, that that's phenomenal. And, and I'm going to definitely keep that one in mind for myself absolutely love it. I want to dig into one really interesting topic, something that I've found myself doing a little bit more often than not, and that is getting distracted and especially by digital devices. Finding that uh, I catch myself on Instagram and my kids coming in trying to ask me to do something and I'm completely tuned out. Totally. And I know I'm not the only one that does it. I see it all the time and digital distraction is something that we all really do need to work on. These, these companies are out here to hold our attention and our goal is to keep our own attention and 
that battle for our attention is so severe and so strong that it can take us away from things that matter, things that are important and, and that role of parenting. What are some of the common patterns that you're seeing and what are some of the best tools we have to kind of pull out of that? Totally, totally. First of all, I want to let you know that even I do it. Right? <laughs> I, Priyana, Priyana, even yesterday, she's like, I'm on my phone and she's coming. She's like, I'm going to talk to you now. Are you going to listen? Right. You know, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm listening. And she's like, are you really? Right. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And then I put it down like now I am. Right. You know, but it, it's, you know, the fact that she could come and say that to me that way is part of the parenting that we've done. Right. So I'm going to still make mistakes. I'm still going to do this. It's life. I'm human. Right. You know, so parenting is never about perfection, but it is about being able to slow down and go, wait a minute, what is she saying to me? Right. You know, and, and actually making that change. So I, I find that really funny. Yeah. So that's part of it is recognizing so if I'm doing something for work, let's say I'm, I'm on my phone, I'm responding to an email and it needs to be responded to then. And Priyana walks into the room and says that to me, right. I can still pause for a second, right. You know, and say, actually, no, I can't talk to you right now. Right. I know you want something. I'm going to be done in 10 minutes. Let me go back to you. And you can say this to a child almost at any age. Right. Uh, you could tell them, I mean, not, you know, not less than two, but above two, you could say, sweetheart, I can't right now. Go, go. I know you want to talk to me. Go sit and, you know, play over there or watch this or give them something else. And then I'll be there in a minute. Right. You know, and, and give them a bit of a timeline so that you can give them what to expect. But if it's Instagram, yeah, put it down. Right. <laughs> like that's the that's the part where we have to train ourselves to actually tolerate that distress of putting it down and then asking the child. Because don't forget, when a child's coming to us, we're like, oh no, what are they gonna ask? We just needed zone out time. That's why I was on Instagram, right? And and now this child is coming asking me something. So if you're taking that truly as your self-care time. You can do what I said, like with the email for work too. Just be conscious of how long you're spending because I don't actually believe being on Instagram doing this is self-care. Mm -hmm. That's just sort of passing some time in a zoned out kind of way. That's yeah. fine, but it's not replenished. It's not really going to the gas station. Yeah. Right. Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fine. It's sort of neutral, but it's not it's not going to make you feel better after actually I feel worse when, when I've done that for 10 minutes, I'm like, Oh my God, why does my brain feel fried? I'm like, yeah. Oh no, that's why I got caught on that again. <laughs> like, you know? So as interesting as it may seem, and even, you know, there's some beautiful messages that you get on social media without question There's great use for social media. I have nothing against it. It's just a degree in the amount that we are doing. That's a problem. I completely agree with that. I just read the book Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport yeah. and just resonated so much with what he was trying to explain there that when we are a single person who wants to try to hold our attention on things that we believe are going to be beneficial to us and we've almost been brainwashed into feeling like self-care to be on Instagram where in reality, it truly is not. We are sending our attention to something else entirely. And we, we aren't focused on things that are pulling us towards where we want to be, right? And it's yeah. like, if you, if you have to be on Instagram or Facebook or whatever social media for work, then yeah, it's, it's going to be 
uh, traction. It's going to be pulling you in the direction where you want to go or towards a goal. But oftentimes when it's that zone out moment, it's just distraction. It's the opposite of where we want to go. And we don't realize it. And we, we say this is self-care. This is me time. But really, is it you time? Because you're not thinking about things yourself. You're focusing your attention elsewhere. And so I'll be chatting a lot about that, not just on the podcast, with, but with people as well in the inner circle at uh, Health Upgraded mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which is amazing. With that, I'm curious, do you know? Because I can imagine going through, because there's so many different stories and topics, right? It's not like Instagram has one story. You're going from this to that, to health, to, to you know, mindset, to to what and they, again they're all good messages but to me that's so jarring yeah that when we're training our brains for anything it's like one thing right so and you know those neurons fire together and then they wire together as as we know but if they're not firing together because they're just it feels like they're like moving all over the the, the brain like okay yeah. fire here no no fire here no no fire here now so i would think that's why my brain feels fried after because i'm not creating any smooth. Yeah. It's basically these acute dopamine eruptions happening all over the place. And there's so much attention going to what did I learn? What did I learn? What did I learn? This is something new. It's cool. It's very cool. And then at the end of it, you're like, man, I didn't actually build out a neural connection. I didn't actually learn anything new. And that's where that frying feeling really comes from is it's actually been proven that the upward scroll of Instagram and Facebook on our phones, uh, it causes eyes to go up and down. And that's actually driving the dopamine response. And Hmm. when we are constantly giving ourselves that acute dopamine push, 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 we're essentially going into this zone of reward, reward, reward. And that's where our, our brain's tuning out. And then it's really interesting kind of the idea of pulling away from that is is more of that distraction or pulling out of that distraction into a zone where that isn't happening so much. You don't get those dopamine bursts. But when we're able to sit with ourselves for a period of time to get into the breath, to get into that gratitude practice, to think with our own brains, we're actually able to traction out or create new neural connections and new neural pathways. And that's where self-growth and self-care truly happen is when you can sit and think for yourself rather than have this thing go off and just create these dopamine rushes. And I'm not like, I'm not here to say that I'm perfect either, right? I, I catch myself doing it all the time. But when we have intent and we have a positive intention on how to create these things forward and, and to move forward, we, we learn that we're going to be better when we think for ourselves and we are doing our own internal thought and the breath is the strongest way to bring ourselves back to ourselves rather than being off. We'll often find if, I think there's been a couple of studies on this, but as you're scrolling Instagram, your breath changes and it becomes very shallow. It becomes almost sympathetic in its pattern. And so it drives this fear response. It drives that fight or flight response rather than being a very calming rest, digest recovery based response. Amazing. Amazing. I want to actually ask you a little bit more about that because it's fascinating to me. I'm thinking about teenagers and and the scrolling, right? You know, and so what you're saying is that by doing the scrolling, we're distracting, getting these rewards, you know, dopamine hits, like you're saying, but they're so sporadic that the reward doesn't lead to anything. Yeah. It doesn't lead to any kind of growth or movement. Yeah. So it's just random rewards. Now a kid might say, 
I just like getting random rewards. It's a nice feeling. Yeah. But especially it's better than what I get out there when I leave my phone if my home is in a safe space. Yeah. Because right? if I'm going to be thrown into tasks and and demands and and homework and you know yelled at to some degree or constantly told what to do, I'd rather be in here getting rewards. There's How do you stuff. chat about that? How do you explain that? those random dopamine rushes are not linked to something that you've accomplished. You, you can ask any entrepreneur, you can ask any person who's accomplished anything really positive, that the biggest dopamine surge that you'll ever get is when you accomplish something on your own. When, when you've put the effort in, when you've done the hard work to create that, that amazing, I, like, for example, I can't tell you, but I remember the moment I unpacked my book and looked at it for the first time and said, holy crap, that's my name on the front. I did this. I put in months and months and months of work to make this thing happen. And now it's a tangible tool that people are learning from and using. And I constantly get this positive reinforcement from people that have read it saying, this was amazing. Thank you for doing this. I want to translate it into Korean. I got a message the other day. It was crazy. Yeah. It's going to interrupt you there. I have read it. It's excellent. So <laughs> I have used it too. So yes, definitely. Definitely. I appreciate that. Um, it's when, when the dopamine is linked to an accomplishment that you are doing yourself, it's greater than anything else. And so we're, what we're doing is we're either training ourselves to have those constant minuscule, tiny dopamine surges. And then when we don't have them, when we're outside, we crave it further. And it links that, that loop back to wanting it more and more. Exactly. So when it's not linked to accomplishment, at the end of it, you're like, crap, I wasted so much time. I, I lost my attention. I wasn't able to be present. And it, what did I accomplish by scrolling Instagram? I know somebody had a kid and this person bought a new car. Like right. nothing new truly came of it. Nothing changed in my life for the better. And when we can kind of teach our kids, I guess, about, about that, and I haven't obviously had the opportunity to get there yet, but my intention is to do that. I want to teach them that the things that they accomplish are going to create that greater dopamine surge than anything that they can get off of scrolling on their phones. Right. So part of that is going to be, and as you're, as you're raising your girls, and I know you'll do this already, but is to have them believe they deserve it, right? Have them feel the desire to want to become more, right? So going back to that helpless parent that I talked about, it was like, yeah. what are you going to do? If that's what we're letting our kids and see, what are we going to do by role modeling that? They're going to be like, well, these dopamine hits are good enough, right? Yeah. You know, because uh, I don't really think that there's more, right? So it's, it's so important for us to be role modeling the growth, you know, so that they can see growth and then desire it themselves, yeah. right? Even from just a role modeling, because otherwise the dopamine hits like, again, why not? Very right? interesting. It, it's, yeah. We don't want to be that hypocrite parent, right? The one that's the do what I say, not what I do For sure. type of parent. If we want them to follow, or if we want them to do something great, we have to do something great and show them what's possible. And they'll model that and take it and do what exactly. they can with it. So Again, that goes back to the self-care, the awareness and the reflection 100% for ourselves in what are we doing and how are we role modeling that to our children down the road? Exactly, exactly. And connecting, right? 
I'm just going to throw that in because some people go the other extreme and they're always off on a retreat and they're never, you know, really around for their kids. And so it's a balance of I'm going to roll my, I'm going to show and I'm going to make sure I'm creating space to connect with my children. And again, if it's a more introverted child than when they want to connect, right? If it's an extroverted child, then yeah, making sure that I'm available to them. And yeah, I mean, we can go on and on and on about this, obviously, but it's such an important piece because those spurts of dopamine make sense as to why we stay yeah. right on it right you yeah. know it's the um, same idea with sugar right like we create that dopamine surge by having a candy bar or having a lollipop or whatever it is and then you're like oh i want that i want that it's almost like that hit that you're looking for every so often and when we create that dopaminergic reaction that's so minuscule but it's it's that rewarding feeling that comes from it we're, we're then looking for what's the next hit? When can I get my next hit? And it's it's very addictive behavior rather than it being, what am I moving towards? And that can still be a dopaminergic kind of focus, but it's what am I accomplishing linked to the dopamine? Totally. So that's why celebrating our small wins is so, so important because it's the same as having a chocolate bar, right? Exactly <laughs> right. And that's how you build out positive, tiny habits. You celebrate those small wins. This is BJ Fogg stuff exactly. where you... you stack habits on top of each other and even if you forget to do it but you remember later on you still celebrate that because that positive reminder creates that dopamine surge and that links a new neural connection and it strengthens that neural connection internally amazing yeah amazing so so critical yeah i love that we can link together so many books in one conversation yeah yeah exactly exactly it's awesome <laughs> What an so awesome good. conversation today. Yeah. I absolutely love this. I got so much out of it. Me too. And yeah. I'm going to be taking a lot from this and sharing it with everybody that I can and uh, implementing a lot of it upstairs as well. So awesome. thank you so, so much for joining. Excellent. So thank for you. For anybody who's interested in finding out more about you, about your programs, your book, where can they find you? Where can they learn more? Yeah, so they can just go to my website, drjuliasen.com. So D-R-J-U-L-I-A-S-E-N.com. And then I also started a YouTube channel. So you can you can look me up there and subscribe and get notifications. And I'll be posting pretty regularly there now. So yeah, and I'll be running the next round of my groups and, and programs starting in September. So we can be looking out for that. And of course, the book's always available on Amazon. So it's uh, it's there. But Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much for this conversation, oh, for doing what you do, for sharing these, this amazingness with the world. And I, I'm honored to be a part of your journey and to help you grow and to uh, have this fun, amazing relationship that we've had built out over the last almost decade. Crazy. Exactly. Enough. Well, the feeling is totally mutual. Thank you so much for having me on this. This was amazing. I loved the conversation. I love so it. Good. Thank you so much. Excellent. Thanks, Navaz. Thank you.